All right, Matt. Well, one of the articles I see kind of written over and over is something along the lines of uh, tech's broken promises. Streaming is now just as expensive and confusing as cable. And what they have gone on to say in this latest uh, article is that the Financial Times recently reported that a basket of top U.S. streaming services, so that's kind of all the popular ones, I guess, cost $87 this fall compared to $73 a year ago. But more importantly... Uh, compared to a average TV package was eighty three dollars a month. It reported. Is that really true? So let's, I mean, that's I, what I want to start. Yeah. That's why I want to break this entire thing down. Because first of all, I don't know what I was doing wrong, but my cable bill, which was really a satellite bill, was significantly higher than eighty three dollars. Yeah. And I'll tell you the place that they really stuck it to me: equipment fees, taxes, and like you know multiple TVs. It's like if you've got. Multiple TVs in your house, like each TV is like $5 or $8 and it has some tax. And then they would just like make, as far as I can tell, is make up charges. This is like the HD cost. This is the DVR cost. It's like, you know, you just kind of need all of this. So by the time I was said and done, I was always well over $100. And I'm not even ca- counting premium services. I so I was going to say 200 Yeah. What was, did, uh, did it include your high speed? No, I got that. Now that I have, uh, my, I have my whole cable or I guess my internet has always come through a separate a completely okay. separate entity, okay. at least for me. So at first, let's, I just want to compare with Australia here. It's like, what, like, I don't know, you probably never even had basic cable in Australia, but like, what, do you know what it would cost? I don't. <laughs> I've never even looked into cable. Um, I've been full streaming uh, since I've been here, and I, I, I bought an over-the-air antenna, and it just wouldn't work with my TV, so I returned it. So I am like literally streaming only. All right. So my question, let's start with this question. So I think we're sort of like midway between this conversion of linear TV to streaming. So it's like maybe five years ago, there's a couple streaming services, but still a lot of stuff was still just cable only. Right. So I'm going to say now we're kind of five years into it. So I'm going to say we're 50 percent of the way there. We're kind of in this weird spot where like there's a ton of streaming services, but there are still very specific programming, mostly sports, that is yeah. stuck on cable TV, right? I'm screwed. Yeah. And if you're a sports fan, which you and I are, that means we're just paying more. And I've just accepted that. It's like it well, is what it is. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, think, and this is where I was going. With, it's like I think though we're just at the mid. It's like you're you're the marathon racer here. Like you're about you telling me on before the show you're doing like a 30k race coming. It's like it's like we're at the 15k uh, midpoint of your of your 30k race. You're at 15k and you're like. Do I really want to do this? Like, am oh, yeah. I, am I really, do I really want it? But of course, like once you get on the other side and it starts to come down and get slower, like, you pick up a little bit of a, a adrenaline and be like, we're getting to where we want to go. And I think that's what we have to say. It's like right now it's confusing and it may be the perception is it's more expensive. Um, we can debate that in a second, but I still think we're headed where we want to go. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, definitely, I miss some of the sports stuff. I think we're a week out from football, from college football season, uh, which is, you know, the only sport I care about. Um, and, you know, I couldn't watch uh, the Matildas, the the women's soccer. We couldn't watch that. Uh, but I, I just found it online, you know, so, um, you know, threw that up. You couldn't watch on the YouTube. Women's World Cup in, in Australia? What? Huh? Is that true? Yeah, yeah, oh, it was on broadcast TV. It was, it was a big deal. Oh, they don't have, they didn't even, I, I don't know, I just know over the air. I mean, it's right there. It's oh, right yeah, yeah, there. yeah. No, no, I'm saying I, I don't even have over the air on my TV. Oh, okay. I couldn't get over the air to work. Um, <laughs> I, I have, I have a bad TV. 
Okay. You know, all right. It's, all right. The, That's whole, it's the whole thing when, when you think you're going to live somewhere for a year, and I've just got the sunk cost fallacy of like, I've got a seven and a half year old TV that doesn't have a remote. Uh-huh. Um, and oh, this is doesn't do over the air. This is just immediately as soon as you get off the, as soon as the show ends, you just drive right to the nearest Costco and just just buy yourself a new television for two hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> well, yeah, well, maybe it's not a bad idea. All right, but back on track here. So yes, back on track. So you're so I this I guess I want the, the overall feeling here is like streaming. Like I'm all you, in on streaming. You're so. okay. You don't want to go back. You're not like I really miss the cable channel. No, no, I, I, I miss over the air occasionally. I never have missed cable. Right. There, there's, you know, occasionally when we, you know, when the family goes on a vacation and we were in the hotel or the Airbnb and they've got the cable, we're like, oh, what's this? You know, and you flip around, and you're like, I see how people could waste, you know, hours and hours on this. But, you know, our, our family, like, you know, we, we eat dinner together. And then after dinner, we usually watch a show or two on streaming, you know, and, that's just the way so we you've got the part where you spend 30 minutes trying where someone's trying to find a show and then everyone has to. No, we, we, we have a couple open. already like sorted out. Like, you know, oh, really? Do you have like a whole list, like a, a, a Matt Ray, like a, a Google doc? Of, well, it's like, not my you, list, but yes, the, the kids uh, and, the, and, and the wife do. And so like, if, you know, with the three kids, you know, one of them is now off at university. So like, if he's not here, we can't watch good omens. Right. Yeah. If, if you know if my daughter's working we can watch malcolm in the middle but not young sheldon you know that kind of okay. stuff all right so, so there's like a hierarchy of what shows are allowed to be watched without the other people. yeah 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 and then you know my wife and i watch different stuff obviously um <laughs> <laughs> obviously obviously uh okay so so, so I, yeah so but let's offer some tips here now this is the part i don't quite understand about this article it's like i just assume that like uh, and tell me if this is wrong. It's like one, there's certain becomes like an affinity uh, in the family for like, okay, these are like the primary streaming services we really like. Right. And then you've got like, those are like your annuals. I'm going to say you're like, well, you're and, and I'm on the outside of, of some of those. I'm on the, right. I'm, I'm on the line of like, we should get rid of that. Right. And, well, and the rest of the family's like, let's keep it. But you're the father. That's the role you always play. This is like the roles of father. We're always like, no, but I'm also, the, uh, I'm also in the camp for prime. Yeah, right. So. I, I agree. It's like, oh, let's just get rid of this. But anyway, the family kind of comes to some agreements. Usually like like Netflix is usually like kind of like I think a lot of people see Netflix that. Netflix is like, still in. Disney it's like a must have, in. right? And yeah. then but then you start to go down the list. And I feel like the thing that people don't get is like it's nothing to like sign up and cancel these. Things, oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Like like uh like showtime stars. I think those are very secondary services. Like they don't need very. to be there. But if there's like a show or two on there that you maybe like maybe hit the free trial, maybe even go. 10 bucks promotional package for two months, yep, yep. watch what you want. And then you just kill it. Right. So, yeah. so that's the part, like, I guess we could say it's work, but it feels like fine. It's just like, yeah, just uh, sign up for the ones you don't well, and, like. And, and, and I think, I think that's the problem most people have with their streaming service bills, like, you know, getting out of hand is they're like, they don't real, they don't take the time to just be like, you know, I haven't watched, you know, Apple in a month. I'm just going to kill it till I have, you know, enough momentum to turn it back on. And that that's where we we've achieved that state, right? Where we've got uh, we've got Amazon from Prime, uh, we've got Netflix, we've got Disney. They've all stuck around. But I've killed Hulu, I've killed Apple. Uh, we did a trial with uh, Max or whatever mm-hmm. the Australian right, one is. Uh-huh. Um, I killed Audible yesterday. You know, I got my mm-hmm. free books and then I killed it again. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, you know, uh, we're still on the family Spotify, which I'm like. Uh, yeah it's killing me but the whole family loves their spotify so yeah you 
if you're a savvy consumer, which most people aren't, right? Most people are not using ad blockers. You know, it, it's it's that kind of craziness that um, you have to like level up just a little bit, or the end, of, you know, or they're all going to just be like, you know, passively sucking a hundred dollars a month out of you, and you know, keeping those statistics up. Well, the other thing I would like to to say that I utilize, or that I've heard, this is it hypothetically, I've heard other people utilize, is you can take uh, a more generous view of your family and uh, and who's actually in your family, like the bigger family, the in laws. <laughs> okay, you could maybe, for example, like you know, hypothetically, somebody gets a really good deal on Max because they're like on the AT and T program, and the, hypothetically, another group gets a really good deal on. Uh, Netflix because they're on the T-Mobile, right? Because all these things. So, like hypothetically, if you take like a, a more, if I if I will say, uh, encompassing view of your family, you can also, if you will, distribute those costs across multiple <laughs> households. And I find so somebody at Netflix has you on a list now. Brandon. I'm just saying, I find this very very nice, especially too, like if you have some people. Um, maybe you have some like people that are, let's just say broadly Gen X kind of like ourselves. Right. Then maybe you have some older parents or something along those lines. And honestly, they have no idea what any of this stuff is. So, so you can kind of like strategically share some with them or not me. I'm not saying me hypothetically, you could strategically share some with like your older people in the family, make sure that you're keeping them in the loop. And then maybe amongst your, your siblings, your in-laws, you kind of come to some kind of agreement about like, Who's getting what? So that's another very easy way to, uh, <laughs> well, if you will, distribute the full cost over. The, the, there's that. Larger. But the, back on the live sports, you know, I my my son's got uh, he big NBA fan. He buys the the league pass. Right? Yeah, love uh, it. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he the, all the games, and he's you yeah. know watching them on his phone at you know five a.m. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, but but then sometimes because we're in Australia, they think he's in LA. Okay. Um, and they're like, you can't watch, you know, the Lakers or the Clippers because uh, of regional blackouts. He's like, I'm seven thousand miles away. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you know, he has he has learned that um, uh, just you know, go to YouTube, search it up, and pretty much all live sports are being streamed on YouTube, and it's just a whack a mole of, you know, there's like they'll they'll have like a floating logo that moves around to to kill the to mess up the stream identification or they'll flip the the image. So if you have a high tolerance for BS, you can watch live sports. Well, I think there's something to it. Like Gen X sort of like kind of figured out password sh- sharing, but Gen Z is just like, no, no, no. Gen- They're just like, well, well, we just go, Gen Z is just like, I'll find the stream wh- wherever I want. And they're like, yeah, I don't even, I don't even bother with that. I will be, because like, I think Gen Z, they're always just like, oh yeah, yeah. I found the stream of this and I'm watching this. And it's like, they, they think it's like nothing. It's not even, there's just not even a thought of a password. They're just like, no, no, we're watching some uh, weird stream out of some foreign country. Exactly. There's there. like Slovenia. And advertisements at right. the bottom. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's what awesome. are you guys doing? And then you're like, well, you know, what can we say? You've taken it to the next level, which I, I'm proud of Gen Z for that. Well, uh, I mean, and then, you know, there, there are other folks, you know, perhaps in my family, not, you know, who's just like show up with a drive and they're like, hey, you want to watch, uh, you want to watch Oppenheimer? And you're like, I'm not going to ask questions, right? <laughs> hey, yeah, you're like, you don't know where it came from. You're like, it's amazing you bought the license for that uh, movie that's uh-huh. not available yet, but that's fantastic. So exactly. So, uh, you know, if you are if you are ethically flexible, your your watching opportunities are endless. So maybe we should say here, man, as we wrap this subject, we should say it's not really text broken promises. It's text uh, 
it, it's let me say this way it's the uh the education of the rest of the world on how best to use text new features yes streaming and if you can take full advantage of them i think all of you can save you don't none, none of the people listening to this podcast should be paying $87 a year for all of their streaming. I'm just going to say that. Like, if you're on this podcast and you're paying $87 for all those streaming, uh, either you're just extremely rich, which congratulations to you, yeah, or you, you uh, we'll just put the Patreon you, back on for you. you yeah, that's right. Or <laughs> you just you need to do a little homework, right? Come on. You, and you're all, everyone here is capable of like doing a little homework to getting that bill down to about $50 a month, which is probably what everyone wants to be at. Right. So, all right, well, good. Now that we fixed that, and I'm, I'm just glad we got that, let's now fix VMware. So yes. this week was VMware's big uh, conference. It's uh, VMware Explored. This is the one uh, I believe they were in Las Vegas, and I did watch the keynote. So first thing I want to say is tech keynotes are hard, Matt. That's all I can say. <laughs> Every time I watch a tech keynote, I'm like, man, like I get paid to follow this stuff, and like, Gosh, there are a lot. Gosh, there are just a lot of acronyms and stuff. So, and I do think everyone has watched too many Apple keynotes because it's like people are trying to do that style at time, and I'm like, it's just you just it's, can't. Like this is it, VMware. You're not you're not gonna you know. And no, there's just thingy. like not a phone. There's not like you're like what what is going on? So one, I want to come out here and just say like tech keynotes are hard. Okay, I just want to put that out there, and I think anyone that goes up there, oh yeah, and puts out the best effort, a lot of respect to that. Now, the thing that was really interesting about this one is that uh, the acquisition of VMware by Broadcom, I think we're almost like two years, I think, into this. I think it's yeah. like a year and a half years, something like that. So it was announced that uh, it has now cleared the regulatory agency of the United States, the UK, and most other places. I think there's one more. I think it's just China's left. And I, I think I don't think there's... Uh, any belief that they'll hold it up. I say that and, you know, watch that something happen. So I kind of like, this is such an interesting, cause I feel like the acquisition, the, the, basically this quarter or very early in the fall should essentially be complete. So I could not help but watch this v- keynote as everyone was coming up and talking, right? I kept thinking to myself, I wonder if this person's going to be here next year. Like, I don't know. Is that the wrong <laughs> way to speak of the keynote? Like, I mean, I'm just like, it's kind of oh, like, harsh. is this a reunion or is this like a send-off? The last hurrah, yeah. Like a last hurrah, like a, a last great party for VMware is kind of the, it, and it wasn't so much like the announcements were life-changing and we'll go through the phone. It was just more like, hey, we all know it's almost like when your company is about to be acquired. I think you've been through this a couple of times, Matt. Yeah. And it's like, like it's not closed yet, but there's like a real like uh, vibe to the conference that this could be it. Well, and everyone's did, just like, this did, is going to be they a announce, did, did they announce uh, the conference for 2024 yet? Yeah, Ooh, did they buy know. a two-year have, that's, uh, that's, deal with the hotel? I, yeah. I know they have the European one. The EU one is uh, yeah. at some point. I don't know. Um so I don't know. I, I think you have to. We have to then grade this keynote sort of on, like you said, like like a little bit of a last hurrah vibe. Just like I know, I understand VMware. They would all say like it's business as usual. Nothing's going to change. No. I understand that. I we this know the product. We, we're watching it live. We know, but like there's just a little bit, like especially some of the the top executives. I was like, I wonder what kind of payouts they get. Should they like you know leave right after the acquisition? Um, so that okay, so that's sort of the backdrop. Like I was, I wasn't at the conference. So I'm watching it online. Um, so that's kind of just what I got. My feeling was now they went through a couple of these things. Uh, one was the vSAN Max, which I, I swear it felt like they were coming right out of the Apple Playbook, like vSAN Max, and then <laughs> it was NS. Uh, I was about to say NSX, NSX Plus. NSX 
uh, plus. I was like, this it really did. I was like, I think they've been in Apple meetings. They watched yeah, some yeah. Apple peanuts. Did you mean did they kill ESX Mini? I, that's my favorite. I don't know. I have no idea. So you know, I don't even know. Like it's so interesting watching the keynote because they're like. You know, you try to. I always just say like VMware. That portfolio has just always been so oh. dense to me. It and is and, and so everything gets like another rename every year. That's yeah. The best and it's part. like so. All I can say from this, like, because they went up and they talked about you know uh, NSX VSAN VSAN Max, and it was like all my feeling was just like, okay, yeah, like sounds good. Like I don't even know what I would want. Like it just I don't know. It just felt like kind of just putting a new coat of paint on like a card that's running oh, yeah, pretty well. Yeah. Like I, I mean. Like, was there anything? Uh, and I mean, I guess- is there anybody who's like waiting for the keynote to upgrade? They're like, boom, I'm going to hit it up, you know, Monday morning. That keynote was amazing. I got to go upgrade all my VMware infrastructure. She's like, no, people are going to like, this just rolls into like a two, three year plan. They're like, you know, okay, you announced it. Now we got to go do some purchasing for some hardware that supports it. Uh, we'll budget for that 2024 Q3. <laughs> well, I, I agree. And it just feels like, you know, fine. And I think the reason I guess it's maybe kind of interesting, it kind of goes back to the acquisition. It's like, well, I kind of think of that, those two announcements together is like, this is the cash cow. You're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. You keep this stuff running, you throw on a max, you, you throw on a plus. Nice, yeah. Next week, you know what? You know what they should use next next year? Ultra. You throw in an ultra on both of these things. We're all going to buy it. Everyone's going to buy it. Everyone needs VMware. There's like, there's nothing to it. No. So, so if I don't know if it's pessimistic or optimistic, it's like this is the business I believe that Broadcom is really buying. It's like you have all this yeah. revenue, and so I, it's, go ahead. Yeah. I, I I am I am I, I I am fully on board with this. Is the peak of VMware? This is the this last is this is the moment. This is, it. this is it because right, right now there's there's you know probably people who watch this keynote and they're like, yeah, that's. That's a nothing burger, right? You, you know, I, I'm going to have to buy hardware for that. Or, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, continue to invest for whatever these new features are. And I'm looking at, you know, Broadcom says they're not going to raise prices. They're going to raise prices. You know, they're, or, or they're not going to raise prices on the software. They'll raise prices on the support. Or, you know, they're going to come after you. You know, everyone knows that's coming. And, you know, if I'm a, <clears throat> if, if, if I'm a Kubernetes vendor, uh, I mean, not even like the Tanzu Kubernetes. I, I'm just saying, like, if if you're Red Hat, if you're uh, you know, Amazon, whoever, the playbook you're working on now is, you know, you hit up the legacy VMware migration story. You start talking about uh, Kube, Kube, whatever the uh, VMs on Kubernetes project are. You start working on a really good migration story because you know that there are going to be people who are like right now making plans for 2024 to get off of VMware. And, you know, it has nothing to do with the quality of the announcements they made. It's the change in business. Well, you're hitting on like, you know, it's sort of like the hallway keynote. I think the hallway, <laughs> keynote, is, the hallway keynote is like, listen, nobody knows exactly what's going to go down, but there's feeling that they're gonna, there's going to be some kind of price hikes. Hey, what's everybody doing? Are you going to exactly. Red Hat? Are you going to Kubernetes? Are you doing something else? Like, what are you doing? How much? How much are you willing to take, if you will, uh, some type of price increase before you're actually going to look at some type of migration opportunity. Cause yeah. I think that would be like, like if there was like an informal keynote, it'd be like, like the, the a real keynote could have been like this. It's like, 
Um, what should you should do? What should you do if VMware raises prices so high that you feel like you got to migrate? That would have been like the and, and, number one session exactly. attended, right? Because everyone is just like looking around. I hear this from like clients. I hear this from industry people. Everyone's just like, hey, I heard Broadcom's going to raise prices and so and so. And again, like c- complete speculation. I have no idea what's really going to happen. But like that to me is the number one theme going around around VMware right now. And if you are if you are a VMware competitor, which is a lot of companies, that has to be your sales playbook for, you know, the next year. Is you have to have, you know, hey, we're hunting them on their pricing. And so you have to have a migration story to your product that is ready to go. And if you haven't made that that, you know, plan yet, congratulations, you just listened to our podcast, you now know what you need to go do mm-hmm. marketing people. But you know that is the sales plan for for next year. It's you know get your VMware costs under control, and probably it's a migration. You know, I like it. You yeah, can't so. just you can't just sit on your hands because you know they're going to raise raise ready. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. So okay, so okay, that's number one. Everyone needs to be ready around uh, the VMware stuff. Now the other announcements here, we'll hit on them quickly. One was they have this uh, VMware expands Tanzu to accelerate app delivery at enterprise scale, which was a lot of words. I kind of took it to mean that sort of like getting along this platform engineering world, you could sort of, if you will, order up the environment that you want. You would say like, this is what I'm looking for. I need this kind of security. I need this. It's kind of like what you would do when you just talk to the VMware, like you'd message the VMware admin, like, hey, can you spin spin this thing up? I need this. I need that. I need a little security. I need that. Is it new? So, <laughs> See, that's the thing. It's like, you're telling me this. I'm like, I thought they did I, that. Don't know. like listen, like this is why this portfolio is so dense. Like you could say that about everything. You could be like, I thought VSAN Max already did that. And I would be or V's I'd be like, I don't I mean now, I'm now, like, now we like Kote talking about Kubernetes. I, I thought I it mean, already did that. I I mean, I kind of think so. I feel like VMware does everything now. Like every time and it already everything. does, right? You're it's, gold plating your gold. I, I think the traditional VMware like does everything. It literally does everything. Like I'm never on a call where like, oh, you know, VMware doesn't do, do that. Now, what you sometimes hear is like you can do that. It's complicated. Now that I hear, you know, that I kind of get, but like, I've never really heard it's like, no, we can't do that in VMware. No, no, no. They can do that. They can do that. Um, the other big announcement was everyone has to have an AI story. So what they did here is they invited uh, Jensen, I think, is it Hong uh, from the, uh, the CEO from uh, NVIDIA up on stage one. I mean, charismatic guy, say what you will. Like he was in the black leather jacket, the black shirt. He really took over when he was up there. He Good. was definitely owned the stage, right? And he gave away like five um, GPUs, Founders Editions, whatever. I have no idea why. I mean, every people seemed excited. I was just like, I get you can't get GPUs, but like I, in five years, this thing's going to be worthless. So it was just hand them out on stage. Yeah, there was some kind so, of. Rap. So what? You're just like you're sitting in the front row, and you're like, now I got. They were going to give. They a data to, like, there would be some kind of drawing or something along those lines. So if you needed one. And the next, you know, you could get it, but it was just like, oh, man. I, I could add that um, to my home lab. Yeah. Well, somebody is. <laughs> In fact, I would love to hear if somebody knows who won it. It would be great to get a picture of it because they showed like the box, but I'd like to see the actual, like, um, I don't know if you all unboxed version of the GPU and like with, because I think he signed it, the VMware CEO signed it. It'd just be like, oh, I don't even, I don't even know awesome. what the founders think. Because they're like, they're like YouTube videos of people getting like those big, like four, 4080, you know, big gaming GPUs uh-huh. to work on Raspberry Pis. And so <laughs> that's exactly, well, I'd, I'd probably use it for gaming, but I mean, you know, somebody, some, some nutballs like, great, I've got this thing and it's running in my home lab where I'm running a hollow world and my mom's blog. And 
I've got this, you know, $1,500 GPU sitting in there. Well, hopefully someone, it would be great if someone finds out who won it, if they would take some pictures and when they're done with it, they can send it to Matt Ray and he can hook it up to a Raspberry Pi. And that will be, that would be the actual perfect end to, to that. So that was cool. But I guess the main message, the news there was, uh, you can basically run, uh, any type of AI machine learning model on VMware and uh, that they like NVIDIA and VMware have done some magic work to make it perform just as well as you're doing it on bare metal. So I was like, I mean, again, great, good. I mean, but they, I mean, they were so excited about this. I can't tell you. I mean, I'm not like doing it justice. I was just like, yeah, sounds great. I kind of, again, I was sort of like, I thought it would probably work anyway. Like I really did. I, exactly. It's like, so, so like, the ver- you know VMware didn't already expose GPUs on their virtual. Machines. No, I guess they were really making a point about like the performance is you're not taking a sure. performance penalty, and I was like, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I really did. I mean, this is no. I don't mean any disrespect to all the people that worked on this and how complicated it is. And I've worked on many enterprise software. Like you do all this work, and someone's like, like for example, cool. single sign on. They're like, wow, so you can do single sign on? That's it? It's like, yeah, that only took like you know, us like two years to make work. So I understand behind the scenes, or it's like there's probably like a whole amount of yeah. like hypervisor, you know, low level code, you know, whatever making it work. But it was kind of one of these things, like, yeah, fine, sounds good. So, so it's good. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you need it, if you're running your uh, machine learning models on VMware, and of course, then of course. Uh, everyone just says privacy, 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 security, right? It's like, this is so great because it's going to be private and secure and you can do whatever you want, which is like, okay, fine, fine message. Um, so that was um, the next thing. And then finally, they had a bunch of stuff about, uh, what is it, the edge. And I honestly zoned out. I just like, I don't know. I just don't really care. I don't really care about the edge computing stuff and oh. like the VMware workstations and stuff like that. So I don't know. Should I care about any of this, Matt? Like, have you used any of that stuff? Do you even care? Is Broadcom going to care? <laughs> I feel like I don't. Well, there's probably um, money there. What, there must be money there. Care? Yeah, there must be money there, right? I, okay. I that, that's the thing. It's like VMware's got you know they're ninety percent cash cow, ninety five percent cash cow, and all these things on the periphery. You're like, you know, if you've got investments in them, you know they're not going to kill them, but they're probably not going to like they're they're, they're just going to life support them, and you know, there are probably people who would love this stuff. And we're probably undervaluing, you know, whatever this product is, but uh, I don't get excited about well, it. I, think I, mean, we I get excited about Edge, but I never think I'm going to put VMware in there. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, it is. I mean, we missed maybe missing it. I don't know. Because cause they spent a, a bunch of time on it. I was like, I don't know. And, and, and also, too, it was like maybe it was getting towards like the, the end of the keynote and I started just not paying attention, right? It's like there's only so much I can possibly do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I will say, I do think maybe as we kind of wrap this, this topic, think about this. It's like, the things I think we're most sure about is like the vSAN, the NSX, the core VMware. I think for sure Broadcom keeps that business going in oh, a yeah. solid way. And therefore, it seems like a very natural thing to do all this stuff with NVIDIA and to do it with machine learning because it doesn't really matter. It's like, okay, that's just like another thing you can use good old handy VMware to you to, to run, right? Well, well so they never want to be in the position where you're like, they don't do that. Right, you know, right. So, like everything they do, you're like, you know, oh, of course they do that. I wasn't looking for it yet, but of course they do that, right? So, so I mean, I, I think VMware's done a really good job of staying ahead of the curve of what their users expect. 
you know, because their users are really conservative anyway. So they or just said another stay. way, like at least they've done a good job uh, about adding the things that like uh, Brandon already thought they did. So like I just think it's like <laughs> so, but I and I think about Broadcom, it's sort of like okay, we know they're going to do, you know, they're going to shepherd the VMware core product lines, right? It makes sense that they're doing machine learning on those things. That all makes sense. Okay, now. Edge. You already said it. Edge, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like that could be on the PowerPoint slide by itself. It could be on the bad PowerPoint slide, like not a growth business. Maybe that does, you know, maybe, don't it know. Don't know. maybe, maybe, it, maybe it. it's a hidden cash cow. But I know? think Which that's is why gonna, Amazon does it. I think that's going to get looked at very closely. And then the other thing, probably not on the cash cow slide right now, Tonzo. Probably like. Yeah, but it, it's got upside. That's the thing. You got to think it. I'm just saying, I'm just, if I'm putting together a PowerPoint slide, I'm like, I'm putting this on my worry slide. I worry about Tanzu and I actually do not worry about the edge at all. I don't really care. I'm just like, but I think that's on the worry slide too. So I, I think it's like, you, I think you we're looking at a, a potential yet again, pivotal is independent. <laughs> if they, <laughs> that would be the natural end to this. If they spin out the Tanzu back into pivotal and, uh, and it's like, Pivotal Tanzu Cloud Foundry, some kind of like ECF TTVI, you know, that would be fantastic. So, and where does um, Spring Source go? Uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's somewhere over there too. So, I don't know. Like, it, it is, it's sort of, uh, if you will, I, the keynote left me sort of like, if, if you will, it's the first movie in the trilogy. It was like, well, we know where the heroes are, right? We know what they're at. <laughs> and, 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 and next episode is the Empire Strikes Back, and there are going to be a lot of dead heroes who don't make the keynote. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying some people may or may not be at the keynote next year. Like, it wouldn't shock me if some people, you know. And I, in this case, the, the, it won't be, like, being cut down by a lightsaber. They'll, they'll just ride off to the sunset with, like, yeah. a giant. And, and, then, and then in the, the final movie, there's going to be that uh, – the ghost of VMware, where they're all looking over the shoulder at Broadcom, telling them, you know, way to keep VMware moving. <laughs> That's right. Yoda will reappear. <laughs> so, all right. Well, listen, we wish we have many friends at VMware. I think everyone's having probably a great time in Las Vegas. And I say, everyone at VMware, enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself at, in Las Vegas. And uh, we enjoyed watching the keynote. Now, in other news, uh, our friends at SUSE have, are going private. And I was so confused by this uh, press announcement. I, I don't know, because I think it was, uh, you know, I don't know, written over in Europe and it's not really going private. It's called like a, uh, I guess it's called EQ2 Private Equity Announces Voluntary Public Purchase purchase Officer in Intention to Delist SUSE, which is like, after reading up on this, that just means they're going to take it private. So right, right. my question would be to this would be like, what is like what's going on at Susi? Like, do you like what is the strategy? Like, I'm not saying this is a bad idea, but I just sort of like thought to myself, like, I have no idea what they're trying to do there. Do you? Do you understand like the global strategy of Susi? Uh, well, you know, they, they haven't invited me into the boardroom, but you know, they're you know, they're no their new CEO is he he ran North America sales for uh, Red Hat. So, uh-huh. you know, uh just you know, here 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 are things that have happened since he got there. Um they now have a, they're now supporting a Red Hat distribution. <laughs> I mean, okay. And he, he's taking them private. Uh, you know, they're, they're leaning into the, the, to as much of Red Hat's playbook as they can just to, you know, take that business from them. So, you know, they didn't kill Slevs, but they still have, you know, they're now part of this uh, Enterprise Linux Foundation or whatever it's called. And, 
you know, I think they're just trying to move into that space uh, any way they can. And private equity, like, I know, you know, we had a, a good thread on it uh, back in, in, in Slack where, you know, I think I might have called it hospice care for businesses. Um, <laughs> but I think in this case, like, this is probably a good opportunity for SUSE. Like, they, the, 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 the PE company already owned like a lot of it, a lot of it. I, mm-hmm. I, I think they already were a majority owner and they've just decided to like delist them because, you know, because they own enough stock that they can just make that call. Um, but it, it frees them from the volatility of having to, you know, show the market, every, you know, every quarter, Oh, we're doing this. Oh, we're doing that. Here's what we're planning. Here's what's coming. If free to that, like Susa can just kind of focus on, on, you know, making their their big, you know, let's go storm the Red Hat Castle move, and I'm I'm here for it. I I think I think uh, usually I'm on the uh, trending negative on on PE, but I also recognize like I'm also on the trending negative for being a public company. So um, I, I I think this is a good opportunity for them. So you mentioned it uh, in your comments there. So I guess it's Oracle, Suse, and uh, is it CIQ? They're the yeah, ones the that behind the, uh, Rocky. Uh, yeah, exactly. They're the ones that launched the Open Enterprise Linux Association. So that was all kind of spawned out. We covered it in detail. The Red Hat controversy, right? Red Hat's no longer going to make its source code publicly available. So those three have, you know, if you will, partnered up and now under the umbrella of Open Enterprise Linux Association. So you could say, I mean, I guess one strategy is that group, and then Susie's like, we're going to go private and we're going to use that as the wedge to start winning over, if you will, disgruntled Red Hat customers. And so I guess that's like, to me, the open question is like, are the Red Hat corporate buyers, let's be real dis- Let's be real clear here. I'm not talking about the open source, but like the people that write the checks to Red Hat or those large enterprises, will they be sufficiently motivated to say, yep, I want to go with an enterprise Linux association version. And uh, that's what I'm going to standardize on. And then the people behind it are Oracle, SUSE, and CIQ. Like, do you, I don't know, like that, that, that part, real... I think is the hard, the harder. I mean, I think, I think Oracle and, and SUSE are just going to use it as lead gen for, you know, their products. I, I don't think there, I don't think there's a, I, I think that the, the CIQ folks are going to put Rocky in the middle of that and it's going to become like, you know, the CentOS for that foundation. Yeah. That makes and, sense. you know, I think the other people like SUSE already, you know, if, if you're selling, if you're buying SUSE and you've got your SUSE sales guy there, you, you here's try, try this one. Tell him uh, we've got some workloads on CentOS. Uh, we're not moving them to SUSE. And you know what he's going to say? We'll support those as, a, as the same way we support SLES. You know, they just they will straight up support RHEL or SUSE CentOS or you know Oracle Unbreakable Linux or whatever. They're already used to doing that, so they've got that in their playbook. They're they're used to like picking up those workloads. They're really just there to make sure you don't forget about them. Yeah, because the other announcement that came out, sort of unrelated to this, was uh, SUSE Manager uh, announced. I guess Ansible integration becomes fully supported, which again, exactly. which as as we know, Red Hat is the ones that bought Ansible, so it's like. So I guess this is leaves. I mean, just the most simplest analysis of this is this: like, well, Suse is just, you know, just cloning Red Hat as much as it can, right? And that's the. I, I think they're being more transparent in what they were already doing, but yeah, they're mm-hmm. they're trying to like 
reduce any friction for migration between rel and SLES. And part of that, yeah, you got to have a little Ansible support. Um, you know, I, I think they forked off of, uh, uh, whatever the the package, uh, not not Yum, but the like the backend package management stuff, um, they forked off that a while ago. Uh, but you know, I'm sure they'll keep it around. They'll may, maybe the UI becomes a little more friendly for those uh, Rel enterprise folks. Um, yeah, you just you, you just want people to be like, we should look at SUSE. All right, all right. Well, I guess my biggest question is like when they call in and uh, they're on the phone with the account rep at uh, SUSE, it's like. Are they going to be selling them SLES? So that's obviously, maybe for everyone that's listening. So that, what does that stand for? SUSE's Enterprise, Suse, Linux, Linux, Enterprise. Enterprise, whatever. So are they going to sell, are they pitching the, the, the their their distribution? Or are they just yes. like, no, nah, fine. We'll just, just. They're, they're pitching that. that. They're pitching that. And then um, when the customer's like, uh, then they're like, wait, 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 wait. I got you. We can also <laughs> do the Red Hat. Or we also have like a yes. Red Hat flavor yes. for you. They're like, wow. you know, oh, just, you know, that rel. Just put in this Rocky thing and we'll support that. All right. So it makes sense. So then maybe, okay. So we piece this all together saying going private kind of lets them, if you will, figure this out over the next few years. And, like, and private. They don't have to worry they about it. They don't have to report yeah. it and they can get, they can figure out exactly what they're going to want to do. They can, you know, kill off SLES or they can support it and they can. They're not going to kill SLES. Not know. kill it. I guess it's SLES is on, it. just anytime you think about like enterprise Linux, realize there's at least 10 year contracts. True. And everyone, so, so, for at least, I was going to say, whenever I think of SLES, I think of SAP. It's always like SAP. Exactly. Like, right. So, and and, and yeah. SAP is known for being nimble. So people are going to like, <laughs> people are going to be like, oh, wow, you know, I got to whip it up onto that, you know, tomorrow. No, that's not happening. Right. <clears throat> anytime, anytime people are talking SLES and SAP, you're, a, you're on a multi-year plan. And right. SAP and, 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 and SUSE knows that they're, they're here for the long game. They're just making sure like Red Hat is not at the table when it comes time to negotiate for those, you know, 13 year contracts to support your SAP. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, listen, we wish everybody at SUSE good luck with going private. Good luck with working on the Red Hat. So it sounds like it sounds like if you work at Red Hat and you're looking for a job, maybe send your resume to SUSE. That seems like a seems like a, an open pipeline. There. Man. Linux is yeah. Linux. <laughs> Linux is Linux. All right. Well, speaking of something that is different, we have a couple of quick hitters before we close out today. Uh, one, I just, I'm just very excited. I've been thinking about this for decades, and uh, it's actually coming out. Microsoft is bringing Python to Excel. I don't really know how it's going to work. I don't know how good it's going to be, but if you read the press release or the article, it basically said like, oh yeah, you can basically you know do a Jupyter uh, notebook in Excel. This is like, I'm just like perfect, absolutely perfect. So. I want to see it happen. I, be excited. I want it. I want uh, Microsoft to not mess it up. There's another company, Neptune, I think is how it's called. They've been working on that. So uh, hopefully Google will buy them and you know they'll they'll do the same thing for Google Sheets or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, so, yeah. That would be good. So but if, if anyway, it's just it's just finally a nice, simple, easy to use programming language inside Excel. We can save us all from just the insanity of the long Excel formula. So I would just, it's going to be great. We're going to write methods. We're going to write functions and it's actually going to be readable, Matt, Ray, You're not as, I know you're not excited, but I am. No, no, no. I'm I'm, I'm about to start dipping my toes back into Python again. So uh, I guess I'm excited. You know, over in the FinOps world, they're excited, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's right. I'm around a lot of excited people. So I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the party with you guys. I'll drink your beer. 
<laughs> Good advice. Well, welcome. Welcome along. Guys. And then finally, um, I just saw this article and I just wanted to say, it says the article title is like, what happened to Wirecutter? And I, I agree. Like, I wondered this too. Wirecutter at one point was just the greatest recommendation site and with the most incredible reviews of the most obscure stuff. I must have read hundreds of them. I must well, have And you would just buy them. You, whatever yeah, you they recommended, you're like, that's just what I'm getting. But like, I noticed this. I, I, the other day I was buying something and I bought the Wirecutter and it sucked. The thing was just like, I was like, this thing is just awful. I can't remember what it was at the time. Um, so I don't know. They went through and basically said in this article, they kind of talk about, well, they got bought by the New York Times and they're covering more things and they don't have as much time. And then they just kind of said, and maybe this was the only kind of interesting point. They're just basically said the internet is too big. There's just too many products. Like when you go to Amazon, I'm sure everyone oh has God. a problem at Amazon. You go to Amazon, you're like ballpoint pen. And it's like, there's like 25,000 and you're like, I don't know. Like, no, I don't no, know no. Even worse are like cheap electronics. You know, any, yes. any yes. minor electronics thing, you go to Amazon, everything's got four and a half stars and 50,000 reviews. And you're like, I've never heard of A-A-A-B-S-I-X-R-Y-K as a company, but I trust those 45,000 reviews. You know, it's like, you're just, you're hopeless against them. Cause, cause what's the wire cutter going to do? Go, go buy, you know, 48 water picks and tell me which one's the best of, you know, 59 Chinese knockoff brands. They can't help me. I mean, they can't help themselves. There's, there's like, because by the time they finish that review, there's 10 more brands. I agree. So I, I think that part I'm sympathetic to, and maybe that's why it's just become impossible to like have the kind of site they once had. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know what to say, but I am disappointed. Um, and I don't know, maybe it is, maybe in a way it's kind of feedback to Amazon because it's sort of like, you know, it used to be some kind of rule of thumb. Like if the reviews are in the thousands, like that's pretty it's safe. It's so broken now. It's legit. It is so right? broken. But now you're right. It's like, I don't know if things, if someone has a thousand positive reviews and then you start scanning down and you kind of see, some cryptic sentence that is either identical or like very changed in only a slightly way. You're like, Oh, this is just like review spam. There's like 5,000 reviews. Yeah, so I don't, yeah. I mean, if there's anything, talk about something we would like Amazon to fix. It's like, I don't know how they do it. I don't know. Maybe, the, maybe all their work on AI they've been doing is like, man, it would be great if they could but they, send They're not really incented to fix it. Cause they've got this like marketplace of, you know, everything they, they make so much money on the marketplace and then everybody in the marketplace has to buy ads to stick out above all the other spam. It's like they are, they're, you know, in shittifying their, their, their uh, reviews completely. You know, they are there. They're not there to service the customers. They're there to service all the vendors competing against each other in this market. And so as a customer, you know, you, you show up and you're like, you're recommending stuff that I'm not really interested in from brands. I don't know. (laughs) that have a bunch of bogus reviews that everybody knows they're bogus, right? Yeah. There's no way you sold 50,000 Chinese water picks in Australia. Okay. <laughs> well, listen, I don't know how to fix it, but this is a good problem. Someone needs to fix it. Maybe it's a new wire cutter. Maybe it's a new AI wire cutter. Maybe Amazon will, will uh, if you will, take a new approach, a fresh approach at looking at the reviews. Cause at one point they were great. You're right though. Today, not so much. All right. Well, listen, we got to close out here. So a couple uh, things on the listener feedback. One, I just wanted to give a shout out. So we had uh, Brian Gracely came on last week. He was uh, the pinch hitter from Matt Ray, who was 
recovering from a cold. Um, but this week, he always does a Sunday conversation. So if you haven't heard the Cloudcast, everyone should go listen to it. But he sort of continued some of the thoughts he mentioned on this show. And it's sort of like, what is AWS after the chasm? So good, tight, 30-minute episode. I really liked it, you know, sort of like expanding on his ideas. You should go listen to it if you're an AWS uh, person or interested in AWS. I like his thoughts on that. And also, if you would like a sticker, we're always sending stickers. Just send me your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. There are many conferences coming up. Uh, I guess Cote says he's going to be in Des Moines, <laughs> Iowa, here on September 6th yep. and 7th. And then, of course, he's going to, is it Zadar? I don't know, somewhere in Europe, on the 18th and 19th. And standing recommendation, anyone else that makes that trip with Cote, that double header. You know, oh, yeah. let us know. You're getting two stickers. Kote will buy you drinks in Zadar. But uh, I, I definitely want to highlight, um, I'm supposed to be giving a workshop at QCon San Francisco in October. Um, mm-hmm. The way that workshops work is you got to sign up uh, for them to actually hold the workshops. So if, uh, if you're interested in open cost, um, sign up for my workshop and hit me up and tell me what you want to learn about. I put an agenda on there, but really I'm going to tailor it to whoever is going to be there. So Maybe you're like, I don't really want to talk about open cost. I just want to, you know, shoot the shit. I'm here for you. <laughs> All right. Make sure. But I'll probably talk about open cost. Matt Ray will uh, add a, a link somewhere. Matt Ray. It's, give in us a it's in there. It's in there. Okay. So go find that and sign up. And then we have some friends over here going to be at uh, KCD, which is what? Kubernetes Cloud Day? Is that what Community it is? Community Day. Community yeah. Day. Sorry. I just did the Sydney uh, one. The Sydney one was great. Was it good? All right. Yeah, it was good. good. Excellent. So that, this one's going to be in Texas, uh, up in Dallas. That's on August 30th. And then, uh, of course, there's a bunch of other shows um, that you can check out. So, yeah, find everybody. Matt's going to be at a couple of conferences. Kote's going to be at a couple of conferences. And I'm going to be here um, recording podcasts. So it all works out for all of us. <laughs> all right, Matt. Uh, with all of that said, give me a recommendation this week. Uh, so, uh, you know, as, as we mentioned, um, maybe in the pre-show, uh, last episode that I was on um, two weeks ago, I... I spilled orange juice on my Microsoft Sculpt ergonomic keyboard. Microsoft's gotten out of the keyboard business, so they don't actually make new ones of that. You could probably track one down. I could not track one down in Australia, so I got myself a new Lenovo Go wireless split keyboard. Um, it's literally a Sculpt knockoff. It is like they're trying. It's really, really close. Uh, the keys. Um, are a little bit bigger, which uh, not in like the home row keys, but like some of the side keys are bigger. I kind of like it. Um, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not going to say it's as good as the sculpt. So if you can go grab a sculpt, get yourself one, but uh, it's the next best thing. If you need a, uh, you know, easily available, um, you know, consumer grade ergonomic keyboard, not one of the like funky donkey ones. Like I've been known to use question is the new keyboard waterproof. That's what we need. <laughs> I don't want to find out. Okay. All right. Well, congratulations on that. That link is in the show notes. So a show notes. So if you'd like to uh, go check out that keyboard, do it. And then I'm going to recommend this week a podcast. That's the acquired podcast, but the episode they did one on Costco. So it was a full three hours reviewing the history of Costco, what makes Costco great, the strategy. So if you like Costco and you're interested in business strategy and something like that, it's really good. Learned a bunch of crazy stats. They have these crazy stats about number of hot dogs sold, number of chickens sold, um, just like all the different ways that they are able to make money through their membership program. And, you know, we were just talking about Amazon and about the fact that like it's so difficult because they have so many different things. Like at Costco, one of the key things is they have limited SKUs. So basically there's really only 
typically two things available for ever two brands available for every like kind of category. So if you're right. looking for like detergent. And so one of the things I kind of learned there was sort of like the Costco buyers are basically, if you will, they're sort of like a wire cutter. Obviously they're, they're selling you stuff, but they sort of going out and figuring out like what are the best products and like what are the best deals that we can get from them. So if you're in Costco, there's somebody did some work to be like, they think this is the best laundry detergent and they think that should be sitting next to their Kirkland brand, which was incredible. That's another thing I learned. The Kirkland brand, which is the Costco house brand is like unbelievably successful. It's just billions of dollars in sales, like bigger than like Nike, like all these other brands you would throw out. It's like unbelievably how big Kirkland is. So, um, so there, there you go. That was the summary. So if you like any of the things I just said right there, go check out uh, the Costco. And I think, I, they did say like Costco's in a lot of international places. So I think it's down in Australia, it's in Asia yeah. and some other places. But like you probably heard us mention on the show, if you're in a country that is never like you have no idea what it is, you should listen to that. It'll, it'll tell you what, what Costco is all about. So, uh, so check it out. It's a good podcast. All right. Well, with that, uh, we will be back next week around this time. If you uh, ever want to watch us do this live, potentially watch Matt Ray spill uh, orange juice. You can always <laughs> join us by That's watching awesome. us on twitch our youtube tv uh you can watch these things after the fact you can go back to last week's episode uh we did uh, include a, a picture where you could see matt ray in action when the orange juice when the sculpt keyboard officially died so uh and with that we will talk to everyone next week bye hey you know what brandon i'm not eating this podcast <laughs> you know they're small victories matt well, at least they know you. They're like, they're like, this is the Matt Ray vibe. All right. Well, we got to go uh, hurry up today because everyone's yep. got stuff to do. So you ready to roll, Matt? Uh, I, I was born ready. <laughs>